It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After formally connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. My next guest was born in the late 1960s and is a domestic adoptee who recently published a novel titled, I Will See You Again, Hearts Will Sing. He calls the story true, but not accurate. His name is Ken DiStefano. I met Ken initially through an email he sent me and then a phone conversation where I invited him to be a guest on this podcast. In this episode, he shares a part of his relinquishment and adoption journey, all the while keeping me curious about what's true but not accurate in his book. As an adoptee, he had a largely happy life but always wondered about the unknown. That curiosity led to a search for his own birth mother and a recent reunification with her. It also led him to seek a deeper understanding of his own journey and that of his birth mother. The story portrayed in his book is fictional, but seeks to probe the very real feelings of displacement, abandonment, insecurity, and doubt that haunt some adoptees, while also exploring the loneliness and emotions of a young birth mother during that era. Allow me to introduce you to someone who I was delighted to hear from this year because he desires to be better connected to the adoption community. I read his wonderful novel and could hardly put it down. He lives in New York with his wife of 27 years and is the proud father of two adult children. His bio states, in part, that against his better judgment, he has done several open water distance swims. That was quite impressive and extraordinary for me to learn, especially since I enjoyed reading about two of his main characters being skilled swimmers while being separated from each other by adoption for over five decades. Ken, I am so happy to have this conversation with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to do this. Yes, because... You're a published author, and the title of your book, your novel, is I Will See You Again, Hearts Will Sing. Congratulations on being a published author. Thank you. It was, it was a lot of work and a lot of fun, and it was something I really enjoyed doing. Yes, and I had an opportunity to finish it, and I love it. Your characters are so well-developed, Paula and Carson, and their parents, right? And then two characters that really stood out for me were Coach Turner and Uncle Rob. We'll Mm -hmm. get into that a little bit because I would love to know what was your process in developing your characters. But first I wanted to like play a little game. I've never done this because I've never had an adoptee on that did a novel that is based on or inspired by a true story. Is that the way you would put it? 
that's that's a good fair way to put it. You know, I've also said it's true but not accurate. Okay, got it. True but not accurate. This is a little game I want to play. Sure. I want to try to guess what is true. So you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Is that okay? Okay. All sure. Right. Do we have sound effects? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so is it true that you were born in New Jersey? That is true. Okay. Relinquished and adopted? Yes. Okay. Being Italian is a part of your ethnicity and identity? Yes, it is part of both. Okay. Uh, you have two siblings that you grew up with? Yes, and I actually have a third who's much younger. Oh, okay. You're an attorney? Correct, yes. You met your wife in an interesting way? Yes, but not as described in the book. Okay. Very different than the book. Okay. <laughs> so we'll say I didn't get that one right. You're a master swimmer. Uh, I'm a very good swimmer. You're a very I good don't know, swimmer. Uh, yeah. Okay. You go after big challenges? It seems like that's the case, yes. <laughs> and last but not least, you applied for your original birth certificate, searched, and found your birth mom. That is, yes, absolutely correct. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. I usually ask the guests to share as much as they want and start from wherever they choose. I was born in uh, New Jersey in 1969. After I was born, I spent a couple weeks in the hospital while my birth mother struggled with a very difficult decision, um, ultimately deciding to sign the papers, uh, giving me up for adoption. And then I was adopted into a wonderful family with two older siblings, mom and dad. I've since found out biologically I'm mostly Italian, and I was adopted by an Italian family with other flavors mixed in, but and really had a great, wonderful childhood, et cetera, growing up. Things have been good. I was very fortunate in the way things worked out. But then I got to the point, a little older, my kids are older, life settled down, a little less terrified about paying the mortgage, about about finding out what I was going to do, about staying up all night with the kids because they're babies, and started thinking about more and more about being adopted. That started creeping into my curiosity a little bit. And I read Anne Heffron's book, You Don't Look Adopted, and it really just struck me. It hit a nerve. Um, I thought it was a great book. I emailed her, told her how much I loved it, and we started a, a, an email relationship where we went back and forth, and she prodded me into taking my hand at writing. And that was barely over a year ago, and I started sitting down and typing away, type, type, typing away, and the book just kind of came together. And then after about revision, after revision, after revision, it kept moving forward, and it was a really exciting thing, and I had a lot of help and just got it out there in the, in the last month or so. Well, let's shout out to Anne Heffron. She has done so much in the community, helping writers become more skilled and getting their stories published. And yeah, I had a chance to meet Anne back in 2018, and she's a lovely person. So I'm glad you mentioned her and her book, You Don't Look Adopted, has, has been mentioned many times in the adoption community. So just want to say that. Yes. Back to the process of developing your characters, because Paula is a birth mom who relinquished. Yes. And there was just so many twists and turns to her personality for me. So how did you develop your characters? 
on some level, a lot, it was thought out. But I, I've never had this experience before in that I just sat at the keyboard and a lot of it just really happened. I did meet with her. I'm in contact with her. I know quite a bit about her. A lot in the book is just totally made up. It's fake. A lot of the unique circumstances of her are, are made up. But I got to know her, got to know the spirit of the of the time, of the place, which was the Jersey Shore and the in the late 1960s, where there was this incredible mix of music and fun and racial tension, and it was all just kind of boiling over. My goal with her was to make a character that was a real character, that somebody could read and say, that could be me, or I know somebody like that, and develop that character in that way. And then when, so then when she comes to the point where she's giving the baby up for adoption, where she's making the decision, there's a real bond between the reader and the characters. That was really my goal. Did you have a favorite character? In the book? Yes. Oh, of course. Lilo, the dog. <laughs> 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 uh, I'll tell you the least favorite character was Carson. Because mm. that's the one that, that was probably most people would say is most closely aligned with me. So it was the most difficult to write. Because right. it, it was the most personal. But again, that was, I, I kept thinking back to what Ann told me about just putting my head down and not being afraid to address the things going on in my head. And, and that's how that character developed. But it was a much more difficult process. The Paula process was easy to write. No kidding. Mm-hmm. I know chapter 19. Uh, yes. Yeah, that, I, I said, I can't wait to ask you. Was that difficult to write or because it's such an intense chapter about Paula and the family dynamics. I believe it's Christmas Eve and everybody's kind of having a good time. Liquor is involved and her dad, Paula's dad, ends up like just flying off. And her uncle comes to her rescue, his brother, her father's brother. And so, yeah, how was that for you, writing that chapter? Well, for for our listeners who don't know, Italian Christmas Eve is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. There's It's an all-day event where you have seven different types of fishes, course on course on course, and wine is served, and it, it's just a really big celebratory night. But there are times when too much, when too much wine is served, emotions get too high. And I thought that was a great mechanism, a great structure for the revelation that Paula is pregnant. And I thought, how would somebody in that time frame, who is a man who found out his daughter was pregnant, how would that person react after having too much wine? And it seemed like the most true way to do it. And then his brother, who's a police captain and is very involved, in that scene, tries to diffuse the situation and becomes, I think most would agree, a, a hero in the book. Um, it, it seemed like the type of family dynamics that were real. Uh, so, so that's how that happened. This is like next to the last paragraph when you write. This is after all the the, the, the hoopla and. Her, I think I know what you're going to say. You do, yeah. You say, she stood before her father, dedicated and defiant not with the weakness of this man's daughter, but the unimaginable strength 
of this baby's mother. Is that what you thought I was going to say? Yes, that's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> oh, that was so powerful. It was just gripping. Where did that come from? Well, it really tried to put me in her place. And I know in the adoption community, there's so many perspectives. And in, in talking to other adoptees, as I've had the chance to do, there's the bonding. There's so much wondering about the birth mother and even adopted mothers. It's such a complicated situation. But when you think about what so many of those young women had to deal with, and nobody's perfect, nobody makes perfect decisions, but how much strength it must have been needed by those women to move forward and deal with what they were dealing with. And again, not everybody did it perfectly, and I certainly haven't done many perfect things in my life, but I, I do get the feeling as a parent that when you become a parent there's a strength that awakens in you that was never there and that's what i wanted to convey to Rhea. right can i ask what did you think i just thought that line embodied the fact that there was a turning point for paula and, and probably many birth mothers where this baby is so much more important than all these other people and things going on that are confrontational to her like I felt like she just took back her power emotionally mm-hmm. yeah that, that's what I was that that's I'm glad to hear you say that because that's really what I was trying to convey and you probably said it better than I oh I just love that that mm-hmm. chapter was it, it was it was a very very powerful chapter um, about those moments when a woman that's pregnant and her parents don't want her to be what she's going to do with that, you know, how she's going to deal with that. And like something I think was said that she knew it would be bad, but it was like worse, like, or the bad was, yeah, yeah, like it it happened just like she thought it would. And then, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but her twin sister, the things she had gone through and how she was responding in that moment when their dad was so upset yeah, that was, I just thought it was so well written to just depict the complexity of this kind of information on a family. Yeah, yeah it, that was Thank just you. so powerful. And on page 123, <laughs> I got the impression from reading about Paula and this man that she couldn't even remember his name that maybe we're going to see another book. If, if the muses strike, I would love to <laughs> write another book. Yes, I, I. that's what I thought. Um, when I finished, I said, wait a minute now. I want to know about that part. One of the things that I've really thought about is, you know, it, it, the book is between 65 and 70,000 words. It's not long. It's not overwhelming to read. So where to draw the lines, what to include, what not to include. And I've had this saying since college, and perhaps a bit of wisdom dropped on me where I always said it's better to leave a party five minutes too early than five minutes too late. I thought it would be better for the reader to want more than to say, why am I being given too much? I so got there, there you. Are... Well, you accomplished that. <laughs> yeah. Really well done. And I encourage everyone to get a copy. I'll put it in the show notes. I know it's available on Amazon. Yeah, it was just so good. A total page turner. I like the pace of it and your writing style. Lots of details. You put me in New Jersey. I learned more about 
Italian traditions. Yeah, that was nice. I always like to learn that. And I like when you talk about, like, what's going on um, in the world. You know, like, yeah, the rioting and, you know, the racial tension. Yeah, that's that's well, good. Well, it's really a side note, but I, there's a paragraph, as you're referencing, where I contextualize everything that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And I did a little search and found all these things, and I said, yeah, today's pretty crazy, but we've dealt with crazy before. Right, so hopefully right. we'll get through this, too. Absolutely. So would you consider yourself better connected to the adoption community since you have published your book? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the big, the biggest accomplishment for me. Of course, I want the book to be fabulously successful because I want people to feel the feelings that are in the book. But one of the things I've dealt with as an adoptee is very much a feeling of isolation. My adopting family was wonderful. They were great people. But there was always a feeling that something was a little bit off, that I was a little bit out of tune with everybody around me. And what's interesting in this, I'm not the first person to say this, is that the people you can't talk about that with are your adopting family, who are the people you usually talk about things. So for me, I realized in retrospect, there was probably a feeling of isolation in many parts and at many times in my life that I might not have even recognized. Getting involved in the book, reaching out to Anne, speaking to you. There was an amazing woman named Diane Shiflett who also helped me edit the book, who's an adoptee. Just starting to realize that there's this community out there that understands things and that I'm part of. And that's that's an amazing thing. Yeah, I would agree. For me being better connected, like through the podcast and and just like showing up on Zoom and going to conferences, it it's a matter of not feeling like I have to fit in. You know, I just feel a sense of belonging because we do all have um, that in common, the relinquishment and the adoption piece. And so you, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time like explaining that. You know, we, we kind of get it, you know, whether you were adopted very early or you absolutely. went to foster care, right? Absolutely. absolutely. I was basically adopted right away. But not only do you not have to spend the beginning of the relationship explaining it, so often the attempted explanation just would be met with blank eyes because people couldn't understand it. Right. And there was a frustration there. But when you're having the conversation with other adoptees, there's an instant knowing. Yes. And there is a part in your book when you are in reunion where you, or not you, but the character Carson uh, meets with his siblings that he grew up with. And and how was that in real life for you, explaining or, or bringing everybody up to speed about you being in reunion? It's terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying to me. Mm. Um, because... As I think I've said, it, it just, I felt so alone and it took me years to get to this process and I was going to be coming to them with something for their perspective, pretty much out of the blue. And, you know, there's some of the scars of, adopt, of adoptees um, are shown when you become a pleaser. Some people just want to please. They don't like confrontation or avoid, afraid of um, rejection. So, it was just really scary to me 
of having to talk to these people out of fear that they might reject me. And the fear was actually, you know, much worse than the reality. But just knowing you're going to have a conversation with these people and they might react very badly was was one of the hardest things I've done. Were you fortunate enough to have a partner like Carson did in the book to support you during this process? I've been married for 27 years, so yes. <laughs> yes. My wife has been very supportive. The way I would put it is she's been with me every step of the way and certainly prepared for me to take steps a little sooner than I did, but never pressured me in any way to take those steps. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I thought from my journey was really important is, you know, I kind of have a history of just doing what's next, doing what's next, doing what's expected. And I really fought that in this process. I wanted to make sure every decision I made was conscious. This is what I want to do. I'm doing this because I'm choosing to do this. And I'm, ju- I'm not just going with somebody else's timeline. So that was very helpful. And she, she was very supportive of that. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about the name that you use for the book. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I I will see you again. I was really just trying to come up with a phrase that got to the heart of what the book was about. And when I heard that, I realized that it worked from both points of view. You know, the the book is from the birth mother's point of view, and it's about the adoptee's point of view. I will see you again is the thought of the birth mother, that she's determined to see the baby again, and the adoptee is determined to see the birth mother again. So I I thought it worked both ways. And then Hearts Will Sing, um, there's very strong musical undercurrent of the book. I thought that was a way of rejoicing at the reunification. In in fact, in the book, we talked about one of the stronger moments, Paula standing up to her father and being strong. The flip side of that is when she ultimately decides to give the baby up for adoption, she turns off the music uh, in the scene. And I think what I'm trying to show there is when she gave the baby up for adoption, part of her died, part of her spirit died or went silent. But the reunification was the moment where the music starts again. Mm. You know, I usually ask an author, how does it feel to be on the other side of writing? How would you answer that? It feels bizarre. Mm. It feels like it's happening to somebody else. (laughs) It it feels like somebody else wrote the book. It feels like when I read it... I wonder what that author was thinking. You know, we just <laughs> talked about, you were just talking about certain pages and I was flashing back to my high school class, English classes, when teachers would ask me what happened in various chapters and I would look at them blankly because I didn't remember. And now I'm realizing you're asking me what happens in my book and, oh my God, I don't even remember what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember, of course, generally, but, you know, specific things, they come in and out. I Literally, I probably rewrote it 19 times. And there were multiple times towards the end when I had just completely forgotten that I put a scene in. And I said, oh, it, it felt like I read something that I had never read before. And clearly, I'm, I'm the person that wrote it. So it was kind of funny. Right. Did you experience any level of healing 
as you were writing? It was very cathartic. Yeah. It was a very difficult process during it. You know, there were times I had to go to places that I wasn't entirely comfortable. But coming out, I felt I was in a good place. It was very helpful. So you go by the name K period R period. And why did you do that? Oh, my name is Ken. I put that on the book because, as we mentioned, there's two main characters. There's a Paula character and a Carson character, male and female. Obviously, your listeners are going to figure out that I'm male. <laughs> but I thought the typical anonymous person who picked up the book, I thought it would be interesting if they didn't know who was the writer. Right. This way they wouldn't identify, know immediately whether the writer was the Paula character, the Carson character, or neither. So that's even why my bio is a little sketchy. Um, not sketchy, but very minimal, minimalist, because I didn't necessarily want the reader to go in and think that the author was one of the characters. I like that. Yeah, I, I like that. You did that. I know I, I really want to talk about the book so much, and yet I know that I don't want to spoil anything for those that are going to pick it up. So I think the last thing I'll ask you about the book is, is there anything in hindsight that you would have included that you left out? I've thought about this quite a bit. It's something I've debated. And there is a point where a lot of people have asked me, after the final scene, there is a reunification. There is a couple of really good moments towards the end. And people have really asked, do I, why didn't I write more about what happens next? So I do go back and forth and in my own mind about whether I should have made more. But ultimately, I think the decision to leave it where it was and leave it to, to the reader's imagination of what happens next worked. Right. And I like what you said earlier. You'd rather it not be too much. <laughs> Right? Yes. Like, yeah, I, I, I think that makes good sense. Yeah. I think at the end there is, you know, I, I think there's clearly a moment at the end that, that kind of is a peak. And to go on beyond that would have undermined that peak a little bit. So mm -hmm. uh, that I think ultimately was the right decision. Right. And can, can I circle back to a question you asked before? Sure. I just have to give a little uh, shout out to Uncle Rob, the character you mentioned in the book, who's a police officer? Yes. I do want to mention that for the first 18 versions of the book, that character was named Uncle John. And then about a month before I went final, a really good person who was my uncle named Uncle Rob passed away. Mm -hmm. And he was just such a great guy, such a great part of my life. So, you know, I... I Changed the name. I said, I'm an author. You have this power. So I changed that name to uh, to represent my Uncle Rob, who's such a great guy. Sorry for your loss. And it sounds like you, yeah, you gave a tribute to him. That's beautiful. Yep. Yeah, that chapter when he steps up for his niece and then the next chapter, like I don't even want to get emotional right now. Uncle Rob, that character, it's just a beautiful human being. Thank you. Well, I want to honor your time. And so I guess in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? I just really want to say that 
I wrote this, you know, on a certain level, I just did it fiction because that's what happened. But I also really had the hope that perhaps people would read fiction and maybe see themselves in characters, whether they're adoptees or, or birth mothers or adopting mothers or people who know them, and just see some characters that maybe they look familiar with. Because I think a lot of people who are good people struggle with a lot of these issues. You're not necessarily the adoptees, but they can't understand why the adoptee feels the way they do. By making it fictional, I thought I was able, and I hope I was able, to give a little different perspective of what it feels like to be in that adoptee's mind, in that birth mother's mind. And maybe, maybe somebody will find it interesting at some point. Well, well done, Ken, and I'm so happy you took time out to have this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful. During the course of this year, I've read several books written and published by an adoptee. I have immensely enjoyed every single one of them. It's been one of the best ways for me to get to know them better and add some of their tools to my belt and box. I hope you've been able to do the same. I must say, the approach and style that Ken chose hooked me from the very beginning until the last page. I wanted more. I believe the way he structured the story has the enormous potential to get the attention of individuals outside the adoption community. I see the opportunity for non-adopted people to have more compassion for birth mothers and adoptees. Maybe they will ask themselves... What the communication expert Sam Horn often says, how would I feel? Empathy is a gift that isn't likely to ever go out of style. In closing, I'd like to recite the author's note at the back of I Will See You Again, Hearts Will Sing, that I meant to ask Ken to read for us. These are his words. To adoptees and their birth mothers, This is my small verse in our epic. I hope that you enjoy it and find it interesting. You have your own verse. Whether or not you choose to tell it is your decision. If you choose to share, I can't wait to hear it. To family and friends of adoptees and birth mothers, you have a loved one who was adopted or gave up a child for adoption. I hope that there are parts of this that ring true and other parts that, perhaps, help you see something in them that you haven't seen before. To those who are neither adoptees nor birth mothers, and those who are not family or friends of adoptees of birth mothers, enjoy. Thank you, Ken, for having this conversation with me, getting to know more about what some of your lived experiences makes you you, was interesting, adventurous, and informative when reading your novel. I look forward to reading your next book and the next one after that, if or when the muse strikes like you stated. I'm happy to know that the talent you have as a writer is one you thoughtfully and generously give as your gift to the readers of the world. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. 
During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a monthly donation of at least $5 or a one-time amount that works for you at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Thank you for being here.